You know, it seems strange to me that I should have to introduce Scott Johnston, and yet when I think about the fact that it's more than a decade since he was on our staff, I realize that there are probably, I don't know, maybe a quarter of you that uh, never experienced him him in that role, and you say, well, who is this fellow? If you came to the 8 o'clock service and right about over there where the Millers are, You'd see Scott and Sandy, his wife, sitting at the 8 o'clock service most Sunday mornings. Scott came to us to minister as an associate on our staff in 2000, continued for about four and a half years. Then we sent him out with a group of believers from here to start a church in Lidditz that was called Living Hope Presbyterian Church, an effective ministry for several years. But God in his providence saw fit not to continue that ministry long term. That meant broken hopes and disappointments. I spent eight years founding a church that several years after I left no longer was in our denomination. So I know that kind of disappointment and sadness that Scott and others experienced. But he gave all he had to give in a valid ministry that was effective and God-honoring. Scott is now a chaplain with the Willow Valley communities, a friend of ours, and a brother in Christ. We're glad to have him here to open God's Word tonight. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you tonight. Thank you for coming out on this cold evening. A number of familiar faces, I'll use the term long-term friends, rather than that word old friends, right? Uh, long-term friends, as well as newer faces here, as Michael has said, there are a number of you I've, I've not met, and so I'm glad to see you here tonight. I'm, I'm glad to see the youth group here tonight. Thank you. I don't know if my son Seth may have bribed Pastor Chris or all of you. Uh, yeah, Chris is holding up the, yeah, if not, if he hasn't paid up, or even if, get, hit him up for some money, no matter what. All you youth group kids, hit him up, okay? Um, <laughs> It is, it is a privilege to be here tonight. I'm, I'm thankful to be here. Thank you, Michael, for your introduction. We're um, glad to be able to worship with you. I've always appreciated these Lenten uh, services, the Lenten season. Uh, it's always been a blessing in my life. We, we need this reminder at this time of year of why Jesus came and why he went to the cross So for these weeks, hopefully this will be a blessing to you. Our text tonight is in chapter 20 of Matthew's Gospel, and I'm going to read for you the last verse at the end of chapter 19. You'll you'll know why. At the end of the passage of the rich young man or the rich young ruler, Jesus wrapped that up and said, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then continuing, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will pay you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour... And the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, 
beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give it to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Would you pray with me? Lord, this word is your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to open it together tonight. Thank you that we can call upon your name, for we need you to give us understanding, Lord, understanding of what your word says and what it means, and Lord, would you even speak deeply into our hearts this night, that we might take your word with us when we go from here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I was blessed, as I'm sure many of you were, with Troy De Bruin's sermon on the rich young ruler. And Troy, of course, had three points uh, to his message. Pick on the youth group again. You remember the one, two, three of his three points? Some of you do. Okay. Jesus demands more than we can give. What Jesus demands, only God can provide. And thirdly, Jesus gives us far more than we could ever dream. It was an excellent message, and I was blessed. Tonight I have two points as we open up this next section, this parable for us tonight, and it's not so much two points uh, in serial order as we work our way through, but two points, two truths, if you will, that I think uniquely bubble up from this parable. Two things that emerge as we consider the whole passage. First of all, the gospel levels the playing field. The gospel levels the playing field. And secondly, mercy triumphs over sacrifice. I hope you'll understand and see both of those things more so as we go along. And to begin with, we need to see this parable does indeed connect with the encounter that Jesus had in the chapter before, the encounter with the rich young ruler in chapter 19. In fact, this parable is really an illustration of that chapter, that episode. We know this in a number of ways, the the way that the chapter begins with that small little connecting word for at the start of it. It comes right after Jesus made that statement that the first will be last and the last will be first. And so the word for then for the kingdom of heaven, that for is a signal that our parable is an example of what that means. Look also at how our parable ends. It ends with that same statement that was ended at the end of chapter 19, for the first will be last and the last first. The gospel levels the playing field. 
You see, the gospel, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, is offered in the same way to all. The gospel, you know this, it is a free gift from God. We cannot earn it. We certainly do not deserve it. And it's not offered to some for payment and to others for free. The gospel is freely offered to everyone, no matter what your status, no matter what your standing in life, no matter what your age, no matter how unique you are as an individual, the gospel is free. And as Troy explained last week, the gospel provides us with riches beyond measure. Not material riches per se, but priceless riches like true satisfaction and true joy. And in our parable, the the owner of the vineyard, the, uh, the landowner, he demonstrates these very things in his life. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced Jesus deliberately uses a, we have to assume, fairly wealthy man, a, a wealthy landowner in this parable. He uses this man to demonstrate that the rich, all of the things that the rich young ruler was not back in chapter 19. The rich young man, he wanted to hold on to all his wealth. He wanted to hold on to his possessions. But this vineyard owner, he was generous with what he owned. He was generous with the workers that he hired throughout the day. So this man, this wealthy landowner, the the vineyard owner, he is an example of someone who is clearly a member of the kingdom of heaven, even as a wealthy man. If you, you think back or look back in chapter 19, remember in verse 23, after his discussion with the, the rich young man, the rich young ruler, Jesus said, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It won't be easy. For the wealthy to enter the kingdom, Jesus says, after all, that rich young man, he walked away because he held on to his wealth more than he valued God and others. But the vineyard owner, although he's clearly wealthy, the vineyard owner, he is an example that it is indeed possible for someone wealthy to also be a member of God's people. In fact, the common name for this parable is the the parable of the the vineyard workers or the parable of the, the laborers in the vineyard. But I think there's a better name for it. I would call it the parable of the vineyard owner. Look at how Jesus begins. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out to hire laborers for his vineyard. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like the laborers who worked in a certain man's vineyard. No, he said the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the house, like the owner. The point of this parable does not center on the workers, even though the the workers are integral to the story. And their reaction to his generosity for those late hire workers, it is indeed a lesson about envy, but but the demonstration of the kingdom of God here is through the heart and the actions of the master, the vineyard owner. So what do we see in this man? Well, first we know that he was fair. 
He goes out in the early hour of the morning to hire his first group of workers, and he negotiated a fair wage with them. He agreed to pay them a denarius for a day's work. The commentators tell us that the denarius was a a common daily wage for a farm worker who worked for a day in that time, and so the vineyard owner was fair. He was not out to make his gain on unfair labor practices. But the vineyard owner was also generous, and he was even concerned for the unemployed. Look at, look at the number of times he went back to the marketplace throughout the day and ended up hiring other workers. I'm baffled at this as I think about all this, you know. This is a rural society. You didn't just jump in a car or on your motorcycle and go down the road like we would today. This man probably had to walk or take, take his camel to go into town to where the marketplace was. He went back there four times. He started the day at, at the first hour, 6 a.m., negotiating a day's wage with the first group. But then we're told he went back again at 9 a.m. and at noon. And then again at what would be 3 p.m. And then he went back at the 11th hour probably five o'clock in the afternoon, just one hour before the work day ended. Now, he may have had a number of reasons why he needed to go back to the marketplace. Maybe he had to pick up things that that were needed in order to do the harvesting there in the vineyard. Uh, Maybe he went back at noontime to take his wife out to lunch. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, He probably had a number of reasons why he went back there. But I have to wonder why. Why all those times did he go back into town? And each and every time that he went back, he saw people standing around who needed work, and he hired them. Even those who had gotten there to the the worker pool place, if you will, at the later hours of the day, or those who'd been standing there waiting around for most of the day, and he paid them all generously when the end of the workday came. If you've read this before, did you ever ask yourself, why were there still people hanging around at 5 o'clock looking for work? Well, I wonder if they were really looking for work at 5 o'clock or they were just having a couple of beers at the end of the day or something like that. It, it seems to me that, that the vineyard owner, he was, he was there earlier in the day. He probably had seen some of these people. Some of these people, no doubt, had indeed been there, standing there at the earlier hours of the day because he asks them in verse 6, why have you been standing here all day? Their answer was, well, nobody has hired us. Well, maybe there was a reason nobody had hired those people, especially the last ones at the end of the day. Maybe they were the kind of people who were unreliable. Maybe they were the kind of people that enjoyed taking coffee breaks far more than doing their work throughout the day. Maybe they were those who did not give a full day's work for a full day's pay. But maybe, just maybe, there were some people there who didn't get there bright and early because they were struggling with a health issue. Or maybe they had a sick wife or a sick child at home. 
But whatever the reason, and we could conjecture on that all day long, right? But whatever the reasons, each and every time the man went back, he hired more of them. And he paid them, even the 11th hour workers, he paid them the same amount as he had agreed to pay the starting day workers at the start of the day. I wonder if you can begin to see here, as we ponder these things, how mercy triumphs over sacrifice. At the end of the day, when the first workers complained, you know, they get to the end of the day, he tells the foreman, start paying everyone, pay those 11th hour people first and work your way back to the earlier ones. And so as, as they're getting paid, the, the workers who were hired first and worked the full 12-hour day thereabouts, they complained. They, they saw that he was paying the, the late-day workers a full denarius, so they expected, ah, he's going to give us more. And to, to a certain extent, we, we can understand their point, right? They say to him, you've made them equal to us. I, I've been there. I'm sure you have too. They had worked for 12 hours. They had sacrificed through the scorching heat of the day. They had toiled and sacrificed and worked all day long. They had worked hard. But again, the fact that the landowner paid the other workers just as much shows us not that he was unfair with them. He was perfectly fair with them. They had negotiated a denarius for the day's wage. But what his payment of the other workers shows us is that he demonstrated how mercy triumphs over sacrifice. Even over the sacrifice of the earlier workers, but not only that, think about the sacrifice that was involved for the vineyard owner himself to be the the, the kind of pay scale that he did for those, those workers hired late in the day cost him truly a good bit more based on an hourly rate. You see, in Hosea chapter 6, God says this. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus quotes that verse in Matthew chapter 9. He rebukes the Pharisees there for being bothered by the fact that he was eating with some tax collectors. He had just called Matthew the tax collector to himself, and he was eating with tax collectors in Matthew's house and other sinners, as they called them. And Jesus told the Pharisees at that point, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, those early hour hires, those workers who worked all day long, they were being like the Pharisees of chapter 9 of Matthew, they were expecting more because look what we sacrificed for you. We worked through the heat of the day. We worked all 12 hours. But the gospel levels the playing field because mercy triumphs over sacrifice. They were exactly right when they complained to him and said, these last who worked only one hour, you have made them equal to us. I'm surprised Jesus didn't say it. I would have said it. I would have said, exactly, exactly. 
They are the same as you. You don't get any more special privilege than they do. Of course, I'm being merciful to them. I'm being generous to them. But I'm being perfectly fair. You see, the vineyard owner demonstrates to us what the rich young ruler was incapable or at least not willing to do. Because that young man, he loved, he held on to his money so much. But the vineyard owner, he had a heart for the down and out. He was more concerned for those struggling later in the day workers than he was for his money. And his attitude toward all of the workers shows not only his mercy, but it shows us throughout here how the gospel levels the playing field. You see, some people look at this passage and, and they say, ah, this, this is a Bible passage that tells us about labor relations. This is a, a Bible passage that tells us uh, everybody ought to be paid the same. They have a certain orientation toward economics that doesn't really work for the long haul, but that's what they would say. And that is not what is going on here. This is a parable, friends, about God's mercy to us in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, this is not a parable about rewards either. If you, again, look back to chapter 19, the the latter part of the chapter that Troy covered last week is, is where Jesus speaks to his disciples at the end. After what Jesus said to the to the rich young man, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, What about us? He says, We have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And of course, Jesus told them they would be rewarded in heaven for their sacrifice. He tells them they will receive far more than they could ever dream. Third point from last week, remember? But then Jesus ends with this statement again, many who are first will be last and the last first. What he's telling them there, and here in this parable, he's telling those around him to be careful, guard your hearts, watch out for your hearts because the gospel is equal for all. The gospel levels the playing field. Some commentators have wisely shown us how this parable is an awful lot like another one in the scripture, the parable of the prodigal son. Think about it with me. The the late-day workers, those ones hired last, they, in some ways, were a lot like the prodigal who had gone and, and wasted everything and having nothing at all. He comes and totally throws himself upon the mercy of his father when he returns home. The early-hour workers are like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son because they are envious they're envious of what the, the other workers have received in their pay, just as the elder brother was envious of his younger brother being received back into the family. But the real hero, if you will, in the parable of the prodigal son is the father. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father demonstrates his love. He tells his older son that, of course, he loves him, But he also then has demonstrated his love for his younger wayward son by welcoming him back 
And in the same way, the real hero in our parable today is the vineyard owner. Because this man demonstrates the principle of mercy to those late-in-the-day hired workers. In both parables, of course, the father and the vineyard owner represent God. And in both parables, Jesus is reaching out to us with the wonder and the reality of God's love for people like you and me. God loves the wealthy, and God loves the poor. He loves the successful, hard worker who gives a full day's work, and he loves those who are down and out who maybe cannot even make it through but half of a work day. And in both those scenarios, friends, he loves everybody in between as well, which would probably represent most of us here. He loves people like you and like me, the common Joe. Let me ask you this. How do you see yourself? And how do you see God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you look at him through the perspective of the rich young man in that earlier passage? Or maybe those first disciples of Jesus back in chapter 19 who were more concerned about their reward and their status in heaven? Or do you see the Lord through the eyes of humble faith? Can you relate to him the way that those 11th hour workers related to the vineyard owner? Again, one other quick thing here. Look, if you will, at verses 3 and 4 of our text. It tells us there, And going out about the third hour, he, the owner, saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. There's no negotiation with the people that he hired on at 9 o'clock or at noon or at 3 o'clock or even at 11 o'clock. He simply says to them, You want a job? Go on out in my vineyard. Whatever is right, I will pay you. And it simply says, So they went. They went out, friends, trusting that the vineyard owner would be fair with them. They went out trusting that he would do with them what was right. And he did far more with them than what was right. He expressed to them amazing generosity and wonderful mercy. That's what the invitation of the gospel is for people like you and me. It's amazing generosity for us because the gospel is totally free. Come unto me, Jesus said. He didn't say pay your tithe first. He didn't say be an officer in the church first. He didn't say teach Sunday school for 10 years and then I'll think about who you are. He didn't say, treat people right, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to treat you right. He said simply, come unto me. The offer of the gospel is free, and the playing field is level. So friends, you can trust a God like that. 
like our Lord Jesus Christ, for your eternal gain. The last shall be first, and the first last. All of this from a God who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your amazing mercy, your richness, the riches that you have, that you lavish upon us, your people. The amazing offer of the gospel that is free with all of its glorious benefits to us. And we thank you for your steadfast love, that your faithfulness endures forever. We thank you, O Lord, that in this passage we can see these things. We can see how the gospel levels the playing field, and we can see how mercy triumphs over sacrifice. Lord, help us to hold on to these things. Draw your people to yourself, we pray, whether it's for the first time or whoever here may need to be drawn unto you, O Lord, in new and fresh ways. For we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.